my lovelies. Welcome to the Rhymewall podcast. Let's start as fans podcast with me, Mike. And over there is Elliot, all getting set for a Valentine's Day extravaganza, I bet. You have built this up to be, I think, way more than what it is. I'm purely going for a meal, which sounds, which is barely anything. However, compared to you, I am going out full hog. You're fucking Casanova, mate, compared to me. I mean, that that's very nice. I, I'm one of those grumps that every woman I assume dreams of that says Valentine's Day is a con. Uh, why should you have to show somebody on one day more than the other that you love them? Every day should be Valentine's Day. And being married to me, every day is like Valentine's Day, basically. Yeah, it's that, it's that face you wake up to every morning. That's the present in itself. Well, quite. Sort of, I wake up and just point to my face and say, you're welcome, and then walk out. Yeah, how's that working for you? i did get some flowers but they were general just sort of i try and buy flowers every now and again like i said every day well maybe not every day every month is valentine's day really so just bought some flowers today again day before trying to avoid the uh the price hike but i mean i I go all out at birthdays and at christmas and stuff like that i just i don't know something about valentine's maybe i was stung quite a lot by it when i was young i'm just going for me i'm not even like I'm not even doing anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not buying presents. I'm not a dickhead. I've got a set of flowers. Not that if you do buy presents, we're not saying you are a dickhead. Well, I'm not. Elliot is, basically. I'm just, we're just going for a meal. We're going to um, a nice country pub that's got an unbeatable menu and I'm very excited. So, um, hanging kebabs, let's not, let's not, let's differentiate. You know, they sort of, um, one's hanging down on a sizzler. Um, it looks amazing. I'm very, very excited. So, uh, so yeah, it should be good fun. Excellent. Right. Well, uh, on this podcast, we'll we'll start to talk about some rugby. Obviously, no Leicester Tigers match to talk about. That's just happened. Or no Leicester Tigers men's match to talk about. That's just happened. But Elliot, you caught up with uh, Jess Bunyard, obviously very good friend of the pod, host of the LTW Fancast, our sister podcast, about a spectacular. Derby Day win uh, down at Franklin's Gardens against Loughborough Lightning. Um, what what a fantastic win, and that deserves its own sort of full review. Which obviously, given that we've set up set up a women's podcast, we don't really do a lot of the the women's matches anymore. So a bit of a treat. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it last night, but uh, that I gather was a very good conversation. You talk about the women's team and the engagement with fans in general, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was a um, we covered quite a few subjects around the women's team. Um, they're on a crest of a wave at the moment, especially by making Franklin's Gardens our uh, our second home. So uh, just like the men's team, we, we've conquered Northampton. Um, it's good to see that every Leicester Tigers team is uh, is comfortable going towards Northampton and uh, taking it over. Yeah, as is tradition. Well done, ladies. That's fantastic. So can't wait to uh, hear that one. Uh, we're also very lucky to be joined by Mr. Tom White, the Leicester Tigers scrum half. And some would say, certainly whilst JVP is still injured, first choice scrum half now, which considering that he's ousted the men's international record cap holder for England is really not bad going. So really looking forward to catching up with him. And we'll also, of course, be previewing a return to rugby uh, against Ealing in the semi-final of the Premiership Cup. And I know sometimes we poo-poo this, but I'll tell you what, it'd be nice to have some silverware, wouldn't it? I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking to looking forward to the game. I've got tickets, so that should be um, good fun. Um, but it means also we can actually do a proper review next week where uh, we can actually talk about it. But um, no, looking forward to it. And it's um, it's an intriguing team selection 
Um, Because I think everyone's got a different idea on, we'll go obviously get into it when we do the review, but, or the preview, sorry, but everyone's got a different idea on how this team should look like. It's going to be fascinating on Friday to see what team McKellar does go with. Absolutely agree. Um, anyway, i uh, got a very quick shout-out before we crack on. I'm going to give a shout-out to Jeff Babland, who got in touch. Um, effectively, it's sort of a very delayed sort of Tiger Watch. We do like Tiger Watch. So again, um, not uh, Tiger Watch, sorry. What did we decide to call it again? Tigers in the Wild, was it? Tigers in the Wild. Yeah, Tigers in the Wild, sorry. That feature where basically, in a non-stalkery way, if we've spotted lesser Tigers player in a random scenario, particularly if you're like at a, a DIY store like a home base or something like that i'm all for that uh let us know uh this is a good one a bit of an older one um about freddie Tulangi, which is uh from jeff badland as i mentioned he said that he um made some sculptures at school of freddie Tulangi's head when he was about 10 um i mean for a 10 year old it's quite talented it's very talented actually it's jeff i, I mean I'm, i admire your work on this this sort of I assume it's it's plaster or clay or something like that, but it it's not the most complimentary image of Freddie I've ever seen. Uh, and apparently he, they sent it off to the club, uh, hoping that it would find its way to Freddie to a, uh, instead uh, it was sent back to him without any explanation. <laughs> I mean, as endorsements go, it's not quite the... Um, it's not ringing, is it? It's not the best, but... Uh, there should have been an accompanying note, I think. The club should have sent an accompanying note just to have said, thanks, but no thanks. Or uh, Freddie hasn't got room in the um, in the, in the Tuolagi mansion to, for, uh, for them. But it's very Leicester just to send them back going with nothing attached. It's, it's all f- to make your own conclusions. It's quite Tigers. It's either it's been seen. The other, I'll tell you what, be positive. It's been seen and appreciated, but it's such a work of art they couldn't possibly take it away from you jeff that's why i hope it still has pride of place on your mantelpiece although the pictures you have sent to me seem to show it on the carpet on your floor so um maybe maybe that needs to sort of like go next to your work desk or something like that, that, that that's that's magnificent lovely memories anyway thank you very much jeff i very much enjoyed that if you want to get in touch with us please do so our email address is the rolling mall at outlaw.com you can find our twitter handle at rolling mall pod and there's a facebook group as well with the same name before we crack on a quick thank you to our sponsors st martin's coffee roasters who are helping us put this all together St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. The news section is brought to you by Parish Brewery, who are offering you and your pub free beer. Now that I've got your attention, Parish Brewery award-winning ales are brewed in a 400-year-old converted stable block in Borough on the Hill in rural East Leicestershire. It's here that they follow the traditional ways of brewing, using only the finest ingredients to brew their cask-conditioned beer. 
In addition to the many beer festival awards, the brewery is the proud recipient of a Guinness Book of World Records award in 1994 for having brewed the world's strongest beer at that time, Baz's Superbrew, and its offspring, Baz's Bonds Blower, is still going strong. Very strong, uh, but absolutely delicious. Now, back to the free beer, Parish are offering you the chance to win four perfect pints of their ale to enjoy at your local. All you have to do is tell them on Instagram or Facebook what your favourite Parish flavour is. If you're yet to try one, you can check out which one will tickle your taste buds by visiting parishbrewery.co.uk. Not only will you win, but so will your pub, as they'll be gifted a free pin, and that's 36 delicious pints to you and I. So get on your socials, tell Parish your favourite flavour, and get a chance for some free beer. It's that easy. Participating pubs only. All entrants must be 18 or over. Full terms and conditions apply. Right, time for the beep, 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 beep news section. We've got two bits of news. We've got uh, a juicy transfer rumour, and we also uh, are just going to quickly mention the team's friendly defeat at Nottingham. I think, was it last Friday? Yeah, last Friday night. Last Friday night. Brilliant. Um, Let's start with the juicy transfer news. And this is in the position that we think that we definitely need to get replaced, particularly considering the rumours that Van Vake may be leaving and also Cronin. And, uh, oh boy, you know, it's it's not Ellis Genge. I still still want to pump that rumour up though. But um, if it's not Ellis Genge, this, this is a, pretty good alternative yeah this is so this is coming from the italian media it's not a rugby website which i'm um familiar with and neither is it um an article which i could because you spend a lot of time reading the italian press well it's not even an article i can particularly read because it's all in italian and i can barely speak english so my uh my italian is uh not bellissimo let's put it that way um so that's but- fucking dope so, um, yes, it's FIFA France, the same row. Uh, but back onto the point, we have been linked in this Italian um, website with Thomas. We don't know how to pronounce his name, so we are very sorry, but Thomas, either Gaggio or Gallo. Yeah, I, I, I think I've, always, I've heard it both ways. I heard on the under-20s World Cup about three or four years ago when he was playing uh, that they, they said Gaggio, and, and sometimes you think they've done their research proper, but it's spelled G-A-L-L-O, Italian loose head. I mean, if you're going to talk about sort of a pocket rocket loose head, I mean, he's about five foot eight or nine, it looks like. He's probably bigger. But I mean, an absolute square block of a human. And my goodness, is he mobile? Yes. And I do think, so the article as itself um, has just linked us as saying that we are a possible destination for us. So he's Argentinian loose head, he's playing for Benetton um, at the moment over in Italy. Um, 24 years old. He is built like an absolute unit. And from what I can sort of see on Instagram, from seeing a couple of videos and from YouTube, he is very much in that Ellis Genge mold of like a baby rhino, just literally just charging around the field, taking names and just carrying like an absolute menace. And so one, I would be all in favour of the signing. I think it's a great age profile at the age that he is. I think the profile of player that he is really suits us. We've done well out of Argentinian props before. And he also will know Montoya, and there's an opportunity for him to step up, take his career to the next level. And I think we are the club that that would be um, able to do so. The other thing that when well, I was always signing is, is that I think this does, and we sort of hinted at it last week on the forum, is that I think this hints at a possible direction of where we're going under McKay in terms of with you know the rumours are that we're not looking to replace Visa. For me, that means that you've got to get the pack, 
the power into the pack somewhere. And if you're not going to do it in the back row, that's fine. But then you've got to move it somewhere else. You can't just go what we did under Major and just go without because we understand the problems we saw back then. And I think McKellar is clever enough to recognise that. So I think the front five is where some money is going to be invested in terms of ball carrying. You know, Van Fake sort of does it, but, you know, it's not quite his game. It's good from close range, but like yeah. he's, he's, he's not, you know, launch him in the middle of the field and, and, and watch him bowl people over. No, absolutely. Cronin is more of a scrummaging prop. Hayes is more of a scrummaging prop, but he's picked up his um, his carrying duties. I'd, I'd put Hazy now into being a potential weapon on the carry. He, he looks a lot more aggressive with the ball now. He looks a lot more comfortable, but he's still it's still not his first sort of super strength. Scrummaging is his good bag. And we know Coley refuses to touch the ball unless he absolutely has to. So, absolutely. So, for me, I do think that how I think McKellar wants to set this up is that he wants almost all the grunts in terms of the front five. So from his prop, the front row and the second row, so all the carrying duties. I think he wants the first and the second bust to be done by those guys. And you're sort of seeing it with like Hanro being out wide over the last couple of weeks, Ilioni and Prem Cup's been out wide, Havrel. Yeah, you've got, so I think he wants the back row to be more dynamic power and sort of rangy, dyna, like dynamism and the power coming like that rather than, what we've got with Jasper. So I just think this sort of signing makes sense for a lot of, lots of reasons. And the only thing sort of downside to it, or not downside, but question mark over it, is apparently he is contracted until 2026. So unless there's a release clause in there, I'm not sure we'd be buying him out. So the fact we've been linked is interesting. But I think if there's, if there is a, if he is contracted until 26, and there's got to be a release clause to get him, uh, get him over there. Uh, interesting, the old Insta follows as well lends itself to the rumour, doesn't it? I mean, it's, on the Instagram scale, he's, it's undeal um, on the fact that he um, follows Leicester Tigers, Joe Hayes, Montoya. So Montoya is obviously understandable. It's an Argentinian teammate. But Hazy and um, Tigers is more of an interesting follow. Mm. Uh, even Tigers, you could say, well, you know, the captain, your captain at national level plays for them, so maybe, but... Joe Hayes, unless he just respects him as a prop, you know, could maybe just props have an agreement to follow each other on Instagram. I don't know. But either way, you know, that's a really interesting rumor. We'll keep our ear to the ground on that. I think he'd be a fantastic addition. The, I think the one area that he does have to work on in his game is scrummaging. Uh, I think that, but I think we've got good form in improving players scrummaging. And, you know, he's he's a different type of loose end. He's very low. Can you remember... Uh, Thomas Dominguez uh, for mm. um, uh, for France, and I remember that like, he was one of the few guys that Coley always had problems with because he's so low. So he can be, you know, when you look at the ox uh, for um, ox and Shea for South Africa, you know, he, he's not a dissimilar build really to what Gajo is, and and effectively he can be one of those loose heads that gets underneath bigger tight heads and causes real problems. So hopefully we'll be looking to sort of look use his skill and his size. Uh, to his advantage uh, in the scrum. I think we've got a really good track record there. So, uh, you know, with all due respect to Benetton, and, and they are doing very well. They're obviously second in the in the URC at the moment. But I, you know, I, I still think that if there's probably a mark, marked difference between training and being in an environment like Benetton and being in an environment like Leicester, which is uh, obviously a lot more established and a lot probably a lot more detailed around the set piece and with a set piece focus. So 
I think that's really interesting and very, very exciting. Right. Um, shall we do a quick chat about Nottingham? Because I know that uh, whilst none of us went to it, uh, you've spoken to our, our mole or... Uh, which is Ethan Clamp, who was obviously on last week on our on our forum, which is very well received. Thank you for all your nice comments about that. Um, what, what did Ethan have to say about the result? What was the final score again? So twenty seven nil was the um, was the scoreline. However, I think twelve points were scored in the last ten minutes. Um, so, or ten points in the last twelve minutes. It, it was, it was, there was a late flurry of points from from Nottingham, and it was a very very green. Tigers team that was put out, not green as in the shirts they were wearing, because they were wearing the, the pink warm-up top as the um, as the shirt. But in terms of the age range, I think Archie Vaines was the senior player on the field at 22, which probably tells you all about how young the side was. And it's actually a, a good thing, actually, because I know there's a few sort of comments about, well, why do we send the kids? Well, actually, this is the perfect game to send the kids. It's a meaningless friendly. You can pick a very young side in this one, because ultimately, Leicester... And to be fair to the guys, they don't have time anymore. There isn't that much time to work out who's ready, who's going to make it, and who's not. And so therefore, they've got to get as much minutes in there as they can from limited opportunities. I mean, some of these boys have barely played since the Prem Cup. Some of these boys have actually, you know, they haven't had a loan spell. A couple have, but some haven't. This is the only bit of rugby they've had in several months. So it's real... You know, they've got to take an opportunity, really. And this is a perfect game against a tougher opposition to really find out where people are at mentally, physically, you know, whose head goes down, who's one keeping the chipper up, who's tackling, who's physically up for it. All these little things the coach is looking for. And this is a perfect game for it. But Ethan said, this is Ethan's review, where he said it was definitely men against boys at times, but he thought that the young lads put in a pretty decent shift. We struggled in attack. And our field position didn't really get into their 22 that much. It was hard to comment on our attack. However, our defence was physical, especially in the first half. Lineup got picked off a little bit and the scrum was a bit shaky. In um, Ethan's opinion, Meredith, Morgan Meredith, Williams and Simon Coriardi have the potential to step up. Um, apparently, it was a shame to see Coriardi went off after 20 minutes from HIA. So we didn't really get to see too much of him I like the shame. look of Coriali every time I see him actually he's um you know sort of like big mobile powerful uh sort of a, a, a in the mold of Chandler Cunningham South that sort of uh you know I don't want to bombastic sounds weird like an insult but do you know what I mean there's I'm sure there are subtleties to his game but actually where he you know his he excels looks to be in in doing those headline carries those headline hits and and you know there's always room for a player like that at Tigers he also has Fijian heritage, which is always a. <laughs> that's all. I noticed that you know, kind of like whenever there's you know, like the Fijian club at Leicester Tigers, um, that a few pictures go up like Phil Thock and a singer does this as well. Um, he's usually part of that crew, isn't he? Yeah, there's, 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 it's always good that community when when you have some boys together. Um, interesting on Coriardi. I don't want to turn this into got too much script, but I, out of fascination, I went online just to have a look uh, at him. He's got the same. I know this is just from the Tigers website, so these are not 100% um, accurate. But he's the same height as Jasper Visa, and he's two pounds heavier. Now, I know there's... Um, and he's only 19, so he turns 20 in March, and he's already 17 stone seven, which is heavier than Jasper. Now, I know there's a bit more science to it than just stand on some scales, mate. Yes, no, yeah, you can play. No, you can't. And there's obviously a bit more to it than just that. But at 19 years old, be heavier than Jasper and with a profile that he's got 
that is very, very interesting. It's actually quite exciting as well because, you know, we talk about the visa situation. I do wonder if you look at the likes of Kandorf, we spoke with Kandorf last week. He's now heavier than Liebenberg for a similar position at 19 years old. These boys have been heavier than some of the first team back rowers at 19 years old and just about to turn 20. Fascinates me. I just wonder if it is part of the thinking that McKellar's got about where he sees the squad next year, about trying to get them in in around the first team a bit more. But we'll, we'll see on that one. Um, and then to finish it off from Ethan, he said he'd really like us to have another look at Ecclesfield for Nottingham, who is a really physical, strong carrier, number eight. Yeah, I, I've rated him when I've seen us play him, I think, pre-season as well. Um, I've seen bits I've seen of Nottingham play. He looks like a proper handful. So, yeah, good player. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just sorry, you mentioned Finn Kandorf. I realised we didn't mention as well the news. Captain of the under-20s. Absolutely no mean feat. And uh, I think he's been superb in their, their opening games as well. Um, you wouldn't know it, of course, from Rugby Inside Line, who have turned themselves into <laughs> the Henry Pollock um, fan account. And it's actually getting a bit creepy now. It's sort of a daily appreciation tweet where they shove his, their nose so far up his ass. He's a fantastic talent. Fantastic talent. But I mean, do you know what I mean? I, You'll notice I've done very few Guy Porter tweets because, I mean, A, the restraining order says it. Or George Martin is obviously one. At certain times we've said this is a George Martin fan cast. We try to keep it on the level, you know. I think what I've worked out, and I've only noticed this the last 48 hours, is, this is off again, off topic, Rugby Inside Line is now verified on Twitter, which means he pays for his Twitter account for his blue tick, which means he gets paid if I understand it, under Elon Musk's brave new world, if you hit a certain amount of engagements, views, and um, sort of engagements with your tweets, if you've got a blue tick, you get advertising money back because it's a it's a quid pro quo of you're driving traffic onto Twitter, you've got a blue tick, so therefore you get money back because you get paid effectively by Twitter. I have a sneaky suspicion he is shithousing on his accounts because he knows... He'll rage tweet about anything and everything. This is why the quality of his tweets over the last month or so have gone from being shoddy to being extremely shoddy and clickbaity because he knows he winds people up. People will then engage with it and he'll get however much back from, um, from the Space Lord. So the one thing I would say, and I'm worst exponent of this because I end up giving him shit all the time because I can't help it. But if you see a ludicrous rugby and sideline tweet, which is obvious clickbait and he's just there to wind people up, Ignore him because that's what he wants is for you to rage and to be all over his over that tweet and over his account because clearly it drives something back for him. So just ignore him. He's an oxygen, he's attention seeking. Don't give him the oxygen and fuck him off. Because he, he adds, at the moment, the last month or so, he's adding literally nothing. Do, do as you say, not as you do. Anyway, back on topic. Uh, well done to the uh, air development lads and the academy lads who um, had a proper good go at a senior and strong. Nottingham side, like I say, it, it's a proper test of metal against probably in the main bigger and stronger blokes. Uh, but it sounds like they gave a good account for themselves, and I don't think we should look too much into the scoreline. Now, now, actually, before we move on from the news, I've just realised that we've forgotten actually a whole host of other news because it sort of happened last week and other things have, have gone on since. Um, just one more transfer rumour to mention. Sam Spink, currently playing, I believe, for the Western Force, uh, in, in Super Rugby ARU, obviously, I think he predominantly plays 12, can play 13, big physical young English centre play for Wasps, really promising player uh, before, obviously, Wasps went tits up and he's been 
tearing up trees from what I've seen uh, in Australia, very, very highly regarded there. Now, with the rumours that Porter might be moving in the opposite direction, he would be a very promising money ball signing, you expect, coming back the other way. I would be a fan of this if it happens. I remember him playing, it probably one of Wasps' last games, actually, last season against us in the Prem Cup. And he played for Wasps that day, I think at 13. Very impressive that day. He stood out. You know, in these Prem Cup games, you always get one or two that stand out as being sort of a cut above sort of the development squad nature. He was one that did stand out and go, oh, there's a lot to like about you. Physical, busy, good distribution, nice offload on him, good in the tackle. Yeah, it was one of those where you think you're more advanced than some of the players around you. And the fact he's gone down to Western Force and has torn it up. You know, I think that's a real good sign. I'd be a big fan of this if we could get this done. Walk straight into their first team. And if you have a look at some of their highlights, huge focus around him in their attack where he gets them over the game line. And not only that, he's got that natural instinct to when he sort of makes that half breakthrough tackle. So he's not he's not smashing the defender on the floor, but, you know, he's get he's getting his arms free and he's looking for offloads. I think that could be a really exciting um, option for us to have in the midfield. So keep an eye out for that as well. That would be a, a really promising signing. Uh, of course, the big news that came across last week, and I suppose maybe this is going to sound supremely arrogant, but it's... Maybe the reason we didn't think of it is because it wasn't news for us, but it's the first time it fell into the public forum. Attack coach, Alan Dickens. Uh, Adam Whitty, um, obviously, perhaps in a, as a proper journalist, in more of a position to break it than than we are. But uh, I, obviously, the details of it, I think we're still going to keep under wraps. But we obviously, it's now out in the open that he's been subject to an investigation by the RFU. And the RFU, um, on appeal, we understand there was an initial hearing. It was then appealed and then it was effectively um, case dismissed, no no further investigation. Uh, he's free to coach Tigers, um, but he's still not here. Yeah, this is the, um, yeah, it, it's quite a bizarre situation. I think, and there's, there's lots of legal ramifications, so we're not going to go into too much detail on it. But from what, I, what wouldn't surprise me is if, we are waiting for the full written um, statement to come from the RFU just to make sure that there's nothing in there. Um, just to make sure everything's okay. You know, you, as with all of these things, it's gone through the processes. Processes have got to um, happen, uh, which they've now done. Obviously, off the back of that, you need to have a written judgment. And I suspect we're probably waiting for that because that, at that point, that probably finalizes everything. Um, and then you can make a proper judgment call either way. But um, it's quite, I think we all, I think all of us are very aware we need an attack coach and it has had an, a massive impact on our season. Uh, so if we can get, if it, there's all of this means we are a step forward to resolving it and uh, whichever way that is, I think it'll be better for every party involved. Potentially comms from RFU don't look great, do they? No, there is a, Obviously, Adam is still working on the story. And from what we are aware, it is interesting. Let's say that some of the um, sort of background stuff, it is interesting how this is developing. So I think there's still more to, I think there's more to come on this sort of story in terms of how it will play itself out. Um, yeah, it just need to, we just need it to be resolved, don't we? It, it can't, it can't keep going as we have been. Um, so if every party can get into a position where it can be resolved, I think it'd be beneficial for all of us. 
Yeah, completely. Uh, and apologies, say that's one we've sat on for a little while. Uh, we we still like the club and we want them to like us because they give us access to players. So we've got to be careful and uh, get the balance right between being independent and uh, I suppose kind of breaking stuff. Um, as in, breaking- we're also not journalists. We're also not. So and- basically, we've got much more of a capacity to p- piss the club off more than a journalist who's just doing our doing their job. Effectively, it would be us pissing the club off as a hobby. Well, also, this had to go through numerous different... For the story to actually go on air for Adam, I am aware that it had to go through numerous different legal checks to make sure it was all okay to be done. That's resources that neither of us have. Well, whilst you are a lawyer, we obviously we, we have to take this... We're not lawyers. Like, you are a lawyer, but we're not journalists, and there has to be numerous steps for it to have gone through, for it to have gone on the air. We do not have... Such luxuries. I've got very little uh, experience with journalism, law, and ethics. Uh, so I didn't think there were any. So there we go. Um, but anyway, hopefully, as you say, all be resolved fairly soon. I think, you know, maybe coming out in the open helps push things along a little bit. Uh, we can see uh, Mr. Dickens, or at least, you know, an attack coach back with the club ASAP. Um, the other thing I forgot, fuck me, I'm obviously all giddy by the thoughts of your romantic Valentine's Day plans. Um, it, my other plan uh, sorry the other thing i've forgotten was tiger watch tiger watch uh because obviously a fair few tigers boys play uh some impressive displays i mean it was all in the england wales game um let's start with uh, the welshman who to my view was man of the match tommy turnover uh what a game he had albeit in a very brave losing cause for wales didn't he look good i mean talk about taking opportunity whilst jack morgan's um uh, not in the side you can't drop him now He's, he's that, playing too well. He was he was pretty much man of the match for Wales against Scotland. He was the only reason that the scoreline was kept south of forty um, in that first half last week. Yeah, I, I mean he was unbelievable at the weekend. It was also with Tommy the turnover stuff. It, it's almost a bit like Freddie Stewart with the high ball stuff. You almost stop noticing it now because that's he's so they are both so good at their super strengths. You take it for granted almost, and you go, "Oh, Tommy's won a hat, won a turnover, and we're three men piling into him." You almost go, fucking so what? He does that every week. But that's amazing stuff, right? That, some of the turnovers he get are unbelievable. And the stuff he was doing on Saturday was unbelievable with his turnover work. But you almost take it for granted. You go, that's what he does. What I really liked was some of the offloading and the sort of link-up play. His link which... play was sensational. And like you, that was what stood out to me. That, you know, he, he effectively, I know he didn't give the last pass, but it's effectively he sets up that first, that second try, I beg your pardon, for Wales. I mean, Will Stewart, oh, fuck knows what he's doing. You know, we want Joe Hayes to get a start for England, but it's nothing to do with the blitz defence. It's just a lazy drift by Will Stewart. He's not marking anyone. He just forgets to cover across and, and track the inside man. But Rafael, nice little outside arc and then an offload back inside. And and I think that was his third involvement in the play. He was getting out wide, stepping in, having a gallop. He looked class. I went to. Li- I know it's bold to be doing these things. I know there's still plenty of rugby to go, but that's the sort of performance where Lions territory. It may not be into um, the test team, but stuff to get you on a Lions tour. Those are the sort of performances are the stuff that gets you there in terms of, you know, in a losing cause as well. Best player on the field. He should have been man of the match. It's only because they give it to the someone from the winning team that stopped him from getting it. He was the best player on the pitch by far, and if he continues at this trajectory and at this these standards. One, it's great news for us at Leicester. But secondly, that's the sort of stuff that gets you into the Lions team because it is because you're standing out, your head and shoulders above, you know, at a high standard, you're you're going above. 
so yeah it's um it's really exciting completely agree i mean whilst you say he was head and shoulders for playing the match i thought there was someone who pushed him close there's another Tigers player. Ben L played very well as well. And obviously he got the former award. But Freddie Stewart, um, on my nerdy rewatch of the game, I mean, you couldn't really ask him to do much else. Uh, I think he took every contestable high ball bar one. Uh, but he was absolutely, uh, he sort of got better and better as the game went. He basically took over in that last 25 minutes uh, as Wales tried to sort of like get some territory in the game as England sort of really pressed and squeezed them. But he was just superb under the high ball. But again, that wasn't the bit that impressed me. What I really liked was his was his running, his angles of running, uh, and and what he contributed to the attack. First 30 seconds, he catches the ball by a touchline. And what I liked was, I think with Stewart before, you know, often we see him, he'll take it back almost straight into the opposition. Yes, he'll be strong at attack, or he'll make some yards, but here he sort of ran laterally. And he did the same against Italy and made a really good break as well. But he runs laterally because he... He's looking for that weak spot. And whilst his acceleration isn't the quickest, he does have a very powerful first stride. And straight away, he sees two tight forwards. Bang, big step between them, and he goes straight through. Looks absolutely class when that happens. Wall of defence, he appears untouched on the other side. The only thing I'd say about him is, buy some longer studs, man. For fuck's sake, it was twice. He goes for a step, and he sort of loses his footing. So um, it's a, you know, that was the only disappointment. There was a good bit later on as well. His positioning, we don't talk about enough. People always talk about his alleged lack of speed. I'll say again, I think his top end speed, straight line speed is absolutely fine. Even his pickup straight line speed is is decent. It's just, I think his turn is quite slow because of his size. But his positioning more than makes up, I think, in fullback play as to what he can do. And, you know, there was a chip, really clever chip by um, Evans who had a decent game. I th- oh, sorry, Lloyd, beg your pardon. Um, at uh, fly after I think had you know a decent game considering all the pressure on him spots a bit of space well that looked like it was there no it's not Stewart's spotted it ahead of it happening he's foreseen it he's taken it he's burst through the line and then a chip over the top and then it's only a really uh, unfortunate bounce off to the right that stopped uh, him from piling on more pressure potentially scoring and I think he would have he had an opportunity actually to go for a couple of tries because I think if Stewart had uh, sorry Ford had popped it off to Stewart, rather than pulling it back to Daly for Dingle's try, I think Stewart was through um, next to the line. And then I also think that he had at least had a clean break, if not a run to the line for that deliberate knock-on that Mason Grady conceded. So those contributions, I thought, were, were even more impressive than his high ball work. It was... Um, no, I completely agree. The thing is, though, only, when you see someone screaming out for top-end speed from a fullback, Capuazzo for Italy, he's got, he's got gas, but he's weak as piss. So... You know, you've got to have a, a sensible discussion here about just just going. Oh, he's not got top end gas. Well, he's got fucking everything else in his full back armory. You know, his positioning is great. Like, what is fa- what I thought was great about the last twenty minutes is was his. I know it's his it's his bread and butter, but his super strength under the high ball. It was like even in the attacking kicks. You know, it was Fordy would put a bomb up, Stewart would get there. They would put a high ball bomb up. He would not. He would negate it. Both in attack and defence, his work under the high ball either diffuses bombs or it sets England up. There was, a, there was one at the end where Ford bangs one up, Stewart gets underneath it, we make another five yards and guess what? England have played the ball exactly where they want to in the Welsh half. They've got the territory, they've got the possession and even if they, I think they've put a nudge, another nudge through and guess what? Wales then have got to make a, go for the try from their sort of, te- you know, from the 22, 
from their five meter line, they're boxed in, and England sort of snuff it out from there. So, you know, stuff like that, both in attack and defense. I know high ball stuff isn't that exciting. It's not like sometimes it's not like the most glamorous of work, but it just shows you for what, you know, the importance if you get it right, both in defense and in attack, it can really change a game. And um, yeah, that last 20 minutes, it, it's, it, like I say, it's bread and butter, but he was very, very good at it. Yeah, completely agree. Um, just very quickly, I think. In this country, we like to focus on things players can't do. Elliot Daly, when he was very good as England's fullback, everyone moaned about the fact that he wasn't brilliant under the high ball and missed one-on-one tackles. And and now you've got somebody who you know ha- has those things as a super strength. And we, um, you know, we can't wait to find out, you know, what what isn't his super strength. It's just something we're pretty shit at in this country. I'm sure if you know Furbank, I think is a fantastic player. But if Furbank misses two or three of those contestables, which I think he would have done, nothing against him. It's just Stewart takes those because he's probably the best in the world. Then you know the the crowd are turning on that and picking on that as being a problem. So you can't win really. Um, quick one on Chaz, a very uh, unlucky yellow card. I thought, unfortunately, under the rules, that's probably was always going to get given as a as a very low yellow. You could tell that the you know the um, in the bunker basically said, yeah, it's never going to be a red. It's almost instantaneously, so keeping that as a yellow. Uh, it, it's one of those things where he's low. It's not a behaviour that you want. That's not a bad tackle behaviour you want to change. He's low. It's just unfortunately he gets driven across by Underhill um, and, and the head contact happens. Uh, and Coley comes off the bench and um, he basically gets us some dominance in the scrum, which had been missing. So, you know, fair play to him. Yeah, they, both of them did exactly what they needed to do. very lucky to be joined by well i want to say tom whiteley but i want to say it like mckella does on the tiger's eyes video ty tommy whiteley (laughs) um was that about right did you think yeah that's what's far off it's a good impression i I won't try and do the impression in case he listens to it but (laughs) how are you doing mate good good yeah we had a good training day today so um, yeah it's been a good day and what sort of stuff are you guys doing at the moment? Is it like, because obviously you had a couple of weeks off. Um, did, yeah. Is it getting back into it or are you like back into the details? Uh, Thursday, Friday was sort of get back into it. Uh, Thursday more, uh, Friday was a tough session. Um, and then today was, all, we all, we had Monday off, the Sunday game this week. So today was very much install uh, for the Ealing game. Uh, just the new players, like what they're, how they defend, how they attack, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then tomorrow will be the hard day. Event to a proper tomorrow. Has it been weird having this sort of mid-season like break? You know, particularly like twenty-three weeks, I think it was, wasn't it, of like pure graft? And you've obviously played a heck of a lot of rugby yourself, and and then all of a sudden you've got this kind of break where yes, we've got the Ealing game, but you, you can't help but feel that it's like a a big pause in momentum. Has that been a weird thing to deal with? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a change. Obviously, like you said, it's never this has never happened before. Usually, we play through Six Nations. Um, I think boys needed it. I think 23 weeks, like you said, is a long time. Uh, not just the, not just because of the games we're playing, but the um, like the training weeks, getting up for a game, and then getting your energy down, and then trying to do that again week in week out. You're sort of going through this. Like I don't even know how to explain it really. So that that those 12 days, I didn't look at a rugby ball. I try not to watch rugby. Um, caught up some old friends that aren't in rugby, which was nice and. Yeah, I just got away from the club. Um, I think it was it was about the right time. Um, a long old time coming to Oval Park. 
but the coaches the coaches dealt with it really well I think um, like there'd be some weeks where we'd only train twice instead of three times so they give us the extra day off um, sort of try to get away to get away from the club every now and then to do different training sessions other places but yeah, it was good. Um, I think I think everyone in the club handled it really well, but the, the 12 days were very much needed. What have you made of the season so far? Obviously, obviously you've had a, a couple of weeks off. I appreciate you don't want to spend all your time reflecting back, but obviously now you are back in um, back in the mix and back into training. If you look back at how we've got to this point, how do you think the season's gone, both for you personally and for the, and for the team? Well, I mean, at the start, the first four games wasn't great, uh, bar that Bath game, obviously. Um, but I think because we had such a long preseason, I think what was it ten weeks, um, and then we had those first four games, and then when the boys and the World Cup came back in, it was sort of the energy we needed. Um, it was very much a small group, um, training hard, and like obviously we went into those games thinking we could win all four because I mean it's the group we've got we, it was very it was very plausible, but uh, probably didn't go the way we wanted, and then. We obviously lost the Quins that first uh, game back where everyone was back. And I think that was a big turning point for us. And we played Saints and then we went on like a, what was it, six game winning streak? I think it might have been, or five game winning streak in the Prem. Um, but then I think I thought we did really well in those two Europe games. I think Stormers, we also got the bonus point, but we could have, we probably could have put them away a lot earlier. Um, and that Stad Ponce game was brilliant. And sort of second string team going down there against second in um, the top 14 against a team that got the best defence in in top in the top 14. So, I mean, score, what was it? We scored 28 points against them um, and played a really good game, backs against the wall kind of thing. But I think that's when these, uh, you see a proper target's performance when backs against the wall, no one's expecting to win it. Um, and we got the win there. And then these last few games, obviously we had that slip up at Exeter, but I think when you play 23 games in a row, at some point you're going to have a slip up. And I think it came just, if, we, if you're going to have a slip up, I, I think it came at the right time. Um, so we had Bath and then Saris and then Quinns to finish the Prem, prem block. So we went into them knowing that we had to win all three um, and every game was a, was a final for us. Um, and like I said earlier about backs against all, that brings the best out of a Tigers team. So yeah, I, I'm, personally, I think I've, I've enjoyed playing every week. It's um, It's been fun just getting, like being involved and working with different tens like Shilly and Polly. Um both brilliant in their own ways, but both play slightly differently. And yeah, I've loved it. I think it's been great. I think something we've enjoyed watching as well is is I think the way you've kind of adapted as a as a player. I know that you've talked previously to Adam Whitty on on uh, on the BBC about you know you were asked to play different ways at Bristol and at Saracens, and we're seeing kind of a bit of a mix of the two here. Like I thought that your your kicking uh, uh, you know off the base. I think obviously we had the uh, against Bath when you were against. I thought you and Shilly played Ben Spencer and Finn Russell, two top quality halfbacks off the pitch. Thought that was quality. I really enjoyed watching you against Leinster when I think you got given a bit of a, um, I don't know if you basically got given a, a free role to basically just run around and try and smash their fly half. Was that was that quite a bit of fun? You know, was that obviously something you specifically targeted and is that something that you, you're quite up for doing or was that just a one-off for that particular game? No, it's something I've been working on with Matt Everard since pre-season. Um, it's something I like doing, getting in the line and sort of forcing their playmakers to play early. We know Leinster are brilliant when they get on that front foot, when their 10's got a lot of time, they can play this wraparound move. Um, so that game in particular, I sort of, what I try and do is I analyse the team before and work out 
where I can put myself in the line to affect the defense, to make our defense easier out wide. So in that game in particular, it was I'm never going to get in the line against three fours because you've got Joe McCarthy running off off nine. I'm not going to put myself in front of that. Denied. Yeah, <laughs> you're too pissed. But I'd let the big boys deal with that, and then and then trying to work out if if they've stood on the blind side, then I'll cover that. But if they've all if all their backs run trying to beat us on the on the far side, how do I stop that play from even getting there? Is by getting to their ten and making them play early or making them carry because I've taken their ten out of the game. Um, so I've been trying to evolve my game in that in that respect. Um, I mean, teams are going to come up with different ways to try and stop me doing that and there's going to be a time where I might get it wrong and a team will team will so team will get away with it but I think my main job is to make them play early because every team wants time the ball but like when we played Bath away was very much getting to Finn Russell knowing that he's got a chip in his game he's got a missed pass he's got a cross field all sorts so that was the hardest game to analyse because do I put myself in line and give that, give that chip space to him or do I try and get in line and put pressure on him so I, in that game I sort of a few times I put myself in line so he saw me so he'd look for the chip space and then as he gets the ball I'd drop out and then he's like how many Tom Whiteleys are there today <laughs> well yeah I'm, and that's all I, I want to put as much doubt in his mind that when he gets the ball he thinks he knows what he's doing but I've already stopped that next play happening so um, it's really fun I, I love looking at teams and the way they attack and finding ways to stop it before their, their attack can get into, uh, into their flow and that, I think against Leinster because their attack is so good and watch when Ireland play when they have time the ball, it's so easy for them. And I think I think I probably got it wrong a couple of times in that game. Like when they went down down the line when I flew out the line, I probably don't need to do that. When they chuck the ball over the line, James Lowe goes down down the left side. But um yeah, I'd enjoy, I enjoy I really enjoy it. And it's 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 something that I've been working on from preseason. And I've I've got it wrong so many times in training, but I think the more I get it wrong in training, the more it helps me in in, in the weekend. It it always works with a rat move as well, because if the ten gives it to the twelve, then Oh, oh, sorry, the 10 gets it back. Then sometimes, you know, you're tackling them from behind. They can't see you coming. Exactly, yeah. It's always a chance of a turnover. Yeah, yeah exactly that. And that's the point. It's how how do we get the ball back as quickly as possible? I, I hope you guys notice our defence is aggressive and, and we're trying to get the ball back as quickly as possible. And you're not going to get it wrong. And there's times we've got it wrong. But if everyone has that mentality that even if we do get it wrong, how do we fix it next time? And how do we shut it down? Which I think we did against Queen quite well. That that time where they go the length, and he came from a poor kick for myself, and then they go the length. We spoke about under the post, how do we fix it? And then that didn't happen again, kind of thing. So, but bar that, bar their last drive, which was good attack from their heart, um, their side. But um, yeah, we're always trying to get the ball back as quick as possible because no one likes to defending for too long. No, I think with anyone that's watched us this season is is pretty appreciative of the efforts you go um, go to in defence. It's been one of our um, one of the things we've sort of highlighted on here about how how good it's been. Um, obviously being a scrum half you end up having a sort of almost like a club amongst yourselves in terms of it's quite a specialised position and you almost have like the scrum half union as such amongst yourselves obviously being at the club you you play get to play alongside Ben Young's you know most cap men's England scrum half there's an all round legend of the of the game what lessons have you took from playing alongside him is there anything that you sort of tapped him up specifically for or is it just just general stuff as, as, you, as you're training alongside I think the biggest thing, and I've worked, I've worked some good scrum offs. I've been very lucky to work some good scrum. I worked with, when I first joined Zaris, it was Wigglesworth and DeCock and Spencer. Um, and then when I went to Bristol, I was working with Harry who plays a different different type of game. So, and obviously here you work with Lenny and JVP. Um, 
you just learn, you take little things. And the biggest thing I've learned from, especially from Wiggy and Lenny in particular, is just the way they control a game. So you saw when Lenny came on against Quinns, I thought he played brilliant when he came on, was um, the way that we win a kickback and then he puts another kick in behind to turn him again. That kind of stuff. And it's not stuff that I always look for, but stuff that we always talk about during the week is if we win the kick and the fullbacks come forward to get it, if we get that ball back quickly, there's not going to be no one back there again. So how do we put that kick on kick? But on the flip side, it's... Sorry. If, um, if we win a kick is there going to be more space out there? So it's sort of like a f fine line. Like if I don't get that kick right and we've then missed an opportunity, then I'm getting bollocking from, from those guys out there. So, um, but that's what Lenny does really well. He, he picks his moments and he's very um, committed to the situation. Like whatever the situation is, he's committed to it. If that's to shift the ball, if that's to kick it. So that's definitely something I've taken from him. And it's, yeah, it's really good work. Anyway. I think, you know, we're all guilty of death by replays when it comes to decision-making, yeah. when he goes, oh, you know, there's the space there, you know, why haven't they gone for that? You forget, of course, that, you know, quick ruck speed is the order of the day and what mm -hmm. that entails for you is getting it away. I mean, as a nine, are you, when you're running to the next breakdown, how much of your time is looking at where the, you know, I suppose the immediate job is where the ball's actually coming out? Because we know it can, sometimes it can squirt out awkwardly. And yeah. How much time is there sort of spent whizzing around or are you kind of in certain phases or are you just relying on what your 10's uh, screaming at you? Yeah. So for me, it's sort of like I split the pitch into three. So it's like the, the two 15s and then the middle of the pitch. Like if we're coming off a touch, like my first look is going to be backfield. As I'm running for the breakdown, can I find space in backfield? If that's not there, then I'm just going to play Polly or Shilly or whoever it is. Get them the ball as quickly as possible. And then middle of the pitch is more looking for that those sort of spaces around the rock and it's something I'd be guilty of and it's stuff that I'm working on is how can I be better at going into a breakdown looking either side of the rock um, and then making my decision after part but either to pass or to run so um, yeah it can, it can I mean you can get to a rock and suddenly you've overthought everything and then you chuck a bad pass because you overthought it kind of thing so or you take a step because you thought there's a gap there but that closed pretty quickly so then you're chucking the ball so it's a, it's a very fine line of overthinking in it I mean a lot of the breaks come from seeing it last second then going um, not so much like scanning is always going to be important but a lot of the time like as I get to the ball their one might not be set or their two might be slightly wider so how can I then get it in those sort of gaps um, but it's definitely something I'm trying to improve and again Ben, ben and Jack have been very good their whole career those kind of things so that's something I'm still trying to get up to their level and making sure that I'm not missing opportunities um, to, to take to take those sort of balls. You've played a bit of championship rugby and of course you've got the high flyers in the um, championship in E-Link uh, in the Prem Cup semi-final. What's the mood in camp going into that? Excited, yeah. Um, so I did that obviously that year with Saris and the champ. Um, and one thing... Oh, we, we got taught a very quick lesson when we played Pirates for way that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember it, but we went down there and, and lost. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, there was a, everyone apart from Saris fans seemed to revel in that. Yeah, they did, which is completely fair enough, by the way. I, I would If I wasn't a Saris fan, I would have done the same. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 going to be a tough game. Like They're obviously doing very well um, in the championship, but I think it's for us is to take it to another level. Um, they obviously play teams in the chat. Sorry, I uh, play teams that play teams in the champ where they dominate large large periods of those games and they dominate the scrum and mall. So it's a big game for our pack um, to dominate them up front because that's where they get their go forward from. 
and their, their speed of balls quicker than most teams in the Prem. Maybe that comes from the opposition they're playing, but we have to stop that because they're a very good attacking team. They scored 40 points against Saints and 28 points against Bristol. So we, we know that what they can, can do. Um, but I think that first 20 minutes, you're going to see sort of test match intensity. It's going to be it's going to be very fiery because they'll be, they'll be up for it and so will we. So I think we've got to take this thing out of it pretty early, um, give them nothing to hit kind of thing. So, What's the, um, I guess, last question for me is obviously this is quite a rare situation in terms of we obviously don't have the FA Cup in rugby yet. This is this season's been a quite a new experience of playing against championship teams. So it's quite a new experience for us in terms of we are, this is a banana skin game. Has that been spoken about or is it more a case of just going through all the stuff about what you need to be doing in terms of, like you say, it's a process, it's your game plans and stuff like that? Yeah, and I, I think what we've been really good at this season, especially in our wins, um, is sticking to our game plan because when it gets when it gets tough, like the coach has done enough analysis the week before to know how to win a game, um, and it's not always going to be hundred percent right, and that's when that effort and that fight comes from. But when when the going does get tough, if the boys of nine and ten can put us in the right area of the pitch, and then forwards up front can go do a job on their pack. Then, like, you sh- like we shouldn't really worry too much. We're just sticking to the game plan um, because we know that can beat any team. Like we've proven this season, like we beat Sarries at home, like purely because our game plan. We stopped our game plan. We knew exactly what we were trying to do, and um, yeah, that, those are the main things. Yeah, and I suppose last one for me as well. Very important one. Your job is to shout at forwards a lot of the time. Yes. Is there any? particular member of the pack i've got someone in mind who I, well, actually there's a lot of them i wouldn't want to shout at is there is there anyone in particular who you kind of catch yourself and maybe just like say please at the end you know kind of like <laughs> you telling them to like move, move their ass over the ball or something i i try to take all that out of it because my job is to make sure they're doing their job um and if they're not working hard i'll tell them there's probably julian's probably one of them does he turn around and like sweat <laughs> I think like, I'm, tra- I'm trying to learn Spanish so that we can we can have a, a better conversation but um, no Ju- Julian's brilliant like he may look like a scary man on the pitch he is a scary man on the pitch but he's very good at taking criticism if he if he feels if I feel he's not working hard enough I'll tell him and he, he's very good at taking it but the, 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 this is what's great about playing this Tigers team is that Everyone understands what we're trying to achieve. Like we're in three competitions, we still want to go win three trophies. Like, and there's no reason we can't. But so boy, everyone's going to be driving that same direction. I, th- I think if we're going to win all three, then it's, it doesn't help me if I think something and it's just because it's Julian or or anyone. Like, and I'm too scared to tell them they're doing it wrong. Then we're not going to we're not going to get to where we want to. So. Uh, that, that's where it's, it's so good playing this team because every, everyone has that same mentality and it's like I could speak to Polly exactly the same as I would speak to to anyone kind of thing so um, I, I, that, and I think that's why we're in, we're in a really good place here I always think that must be one of the sort of MOs of being a professional forward in rugby is that you've got to be able to let the nine absolutely rip you a new one and not do what I've been known to do before which is turn around bearing in mind I'm playing a like like fucking third team level now and you, <laughs> and, and, and the scrum half is fatter than our props and he's telling you you're not working hard enough and so when he tells you you turn around and tell him to fuck off and then yeah uh, yeah that, that's the general standard we've got but no glad to see it's a bit better at elite level um Tom it's been a treat having you on thank you so much for spending some time particularly like it with the uh, some of the fisherman's trawler beanie that you've got going on at the moment yeah that's good 
Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll let you get back to um, uh, watching Arsenal's title procession. <laughs> I'll be gutted if it happens again. It won't happen last year, but <laughs> Sorry, you're not you're not Spurs. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're not, but we haven't won a trophy that long either. So, cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for time. Yeah, Right, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by Jeff Bunyard from our sister post, the Leicester Tigers uh, podcast, or Leicester Tigers women's fancast, I should I say, sister of pod, uh, new for this season, and uh, making a special appearance uh, with us this year, which is great news. Jeff, we're talking about one of the subjects that me and you both enjoy so, so much, and that's the Derby Day win, and it is incredible that even in the first year, first time playing at Franklin's Gardens, the women's team have now settled in rather quite nicely and made it our own. Um, yeah, what a win on Saturday, hey? Yeah, and what a win against Loughborough Lightning slash Northampton Saints in that shirt as well. They were, I think, maybe for the second or third time in the Northampton Saints colours, uh, certainly yes. for the first time in a derby day. Because obviously, if listeners aren't aware, they've got that partnership with with Northampton Saints. So um, Loughborough Lightning play most of their home ground, home fixtures this season at Franklin's Gardens. Although sometimes because of bad weather, they have been known to move it to the, the Loughborough University pitches, which are kind of like a 4G blend. Um, but yeah, so beating them not only at Franklin's Gardens... For a derby day that's sort of like a county Leicestershire derby, but also an East Mids derby because it's Northampton Saints. In the Northampton Saints shirt, there's a lot of layers that just make it kind of all the sweeter. Yes, I was about to say, this is an unconventional sort of tie in, isn't it? Because obviously Loughborough, I think it was two years ago, I think. Was it 18 months ago, two years ago? I've now tied in with Northampton, um, which is fair enough. It's obviously, it's it's two brands coming together but at the same point for us it all makes it it makes it sort of awkward because we've always sort of been quite favourable towards Loughborough now obviously we've got our own team they are now classified as the enemy and even now with Northampton they are even more so the sort of like you say it's a weird both county rivalry slash East Midlands rivalry so th- so you're saying this is the second or third time in that shirt for because they normally play in their own traditional colours yeah they're normally in sort of the that what what I think is a really nice shirt, the kind of fade of purple to pink with a bit of lightning across, and then yeah. they normally play in that. You can almost kind of bet your bet your student loan on it that they'll be in that week in week out. So, and we kind of hoped when they came to Matthew Woods Welford Road earlier in the season, we thought, oh, are they going to be in that Saints shirt? Please, please, please let them be in the shirt, and they weren't. So I was really, really excited this time around that they were running out at Franklin's Gardens in the Saints' colours. And I think for Loughborough Lightning, that's probably a really important statement of where they want to take that partnership, which is really important to them and ultimately the growth of women's rugby in the region in the East Mids. I mean, you took, we, obviously women's rugby is in its, in its growth phase. And I think for me personally, creating these sort of narratives and sort of derbies and creating almost a real rivalry between these sort of teams, I think is a real important thing. So to get that, I think it was great that they they played one at Franklin's Gardens and secondly in that shirt as well because we all know the sort of connotations and the sort of background for what they, both the shirts mean. So I think it was great for the for almost for both teams that, that that happened. Looking at the game itself, I mean, this is a pretty. I know the sale game is 
a great was a great thing because it's the first victory and the first one is always meaningful and pretty special. But this one, I think this is a this is something where I noticed it when the final whistle was was announced on Twitter and you saw now the reaction to it, not obviously just from Leicester fans, but fans sort of across the board with you know who are supporters of other teams, you know, the Bristols, the Gloucesters, whatever. This was a result that made people's eyes, you know, the eyebrows went up and went, oh hello, we've got something here. This feels quite a monumental result, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. The the Sale Tigers game felt, you know, as it was at the time, kind of bottom bottom of the table, fighting it out together. This this is not quite a scalp of like the Gloucester Heartbreeze, the the Saris of the of the universe, but this feels like another step up. It feels like each time we play now, and it's been like this for like the last couple of weeks, each time we play. There's been another step up. And I know I've been like overwhelmingly positive when recording the the podcast because we could see the improvements and now they're really starting to show on the scoreboard. And it's it's beyond exciting. Like there's been numerous, numerous times where I've been frantically refreshing things on Twitter and jumping up and down in my living room because it's been amazing to to see how far we've come in such a short space of time. It feels like the last month or so has been a real sort of game changer in terms of for the team. It's almost like a, a light bulb moment where they've gone, we are okay at this level. We're comfortable at this level. We're getting better. And now we're starting to see all the hard work, which they've done up to this point, And they've not had any reward for it. They're now starting to get the rewards. And I think one of the interviews with the coaches after the game on Saturday was almost a perfect thing where we said, we've actually got everything. We're starting to get all these, we're starting to get the results now for the, the efforts that we've put in. So you look back at the last sort of month or so, Saracens, we had a real good battle with them. It didn't go quite our way, but everyone sort of spoke about how we went toe-to-toe for the large portion of the game. We obviously have the, the victory away at Sale. You know, last week's agonising um, defeat to Gloucester Hartbury and then into this game as well against Loughborough Lightning slash Northampton Saints. It's a pretty powerful month when you start looking at it like that and you sort of see where the trajectory of this team is going. How excited are you in terms of a the, the sort of the future of what of what's to come based on this last month, and how much confidence do you see the girls are getting almost off the back of their own performances week in week out now? Yeah, it it's it's massive on a on a personal level. I I didn't think we'd improve quite so quickly. I mean, there's a massive step up from Champ to PWR. It is massive. I do think it's a gulf that needs to be addressed at you know, systematically RFU in the league system, whether we have bottom of the PWR play sort of the top of the champs every every season, a kind of a season finale to kind of help bridge that gap. I don't know, but I think we've made some really astute signings and I think we've worked really well. I think Vicky and the whole coaching staff work really well bedding the new signings in with the existing champ team and creating unity there. And I think that's been the key of, of reason of why we've made so many improvements so quickly. I could sense something was happening when, and I must have said this phrase a ton of times on the pod, when we when we forced Saris to kind of press that Marley Packer panic button and to bring Marley on off the bench, I think with about 20 minutes played, you could sense something was happening then. And we did an interview a couple of weeks ago with, with Scottish prop Leah Bartlett and she said, the pressure isn't on us. 
it's on everybody else that comes to face us. We know we're going to get some scalps. We know we're going to get some wins and some close games this season. We're new. The pressure isn't on us. The pressure's on everybody else who comes to face us. And I think that's that's certainly the case now. Leicester the City always has an underdog status about it, I always think. I think Leicester thrives in that sort of backs-to-the-wall underdog City status. So it's great that the ladies are actually almost commandeering. I do think they should actually take real ownership of it. The football team did. I mean, Kasabian spoke about, you know, they had a song called Underdog. So, you know, that real punching upwards, that real, that status of Underdog, I do love that the ladies are almost owning that. I think, especially for the next couple of years, they really should take ownership of it. When you look at the, um, obviously the wins that we've had, both away from home, is that a, obviously it's a great thing. Let's not, let's not disround here. Is that a worry that both wins have come away from home? Is there a pressure element to being at Welford Road, do you think? Or is that just, it's just circumstances in terms of how the wins have come, you're away from home. First year, you take your wins almost however which way they come. You don't really analyse it too much. Or is there a sort of a, a Welford Road factor we just need to to bridge a little bit? Yeah, I, I almost think it's how the fixtures have been built into the season. Um, you know, we had Loughborough Lightning, at home at Matty Lee Woods Welford Road quite early on in our season and we were still making adjustments and almost still, I think, similar to the men sometimes, still trying to put together a full 80 performance. Um, and that that cost us quite harshly. So I think it's just the way the fixtures have, have been organised. I am looking ahead to the Trailfinders game with real, real anticipation. Um, I think it's going to be a firecracker of a game because both teams play with a real kind of attacking spark and can score from anywhere. I mean, um, Claire Gallagher's up for a vote for a try of the week this week because it's she's an absolute scorcher. <laughs> just sort of snatches it out of the player's hands. It just snatches it. It goes from nowhere, and she and she's away. And if we talk about astute signings and and blending of squads together, I think the way the backline's really starting to fire, having Tash Jones at ten, and then Claire Gallagher at centre, and Meg Jones at, with a centre partnership is is really really working. It's, and it's so exciting. So. Uh, is that win going to come against Trailfinders? Oh, Giselle Mather's team, they really do like to play with attacking spark. It is going to be end-to-end rugby, but I think that could be our first win at home. Well, that's a nice little segue um, into it, obviously. It's almost like we've done this before, Jess. It's almost like we've done this before. Obviously, Ealing Trailfinders is coming up. It's on the 23rd, I believe. It's Friday night under the lights at Mattioli Woods, Welford Road. Obviously, going into that game after the good month that we've had, is it a a bad thing that we've got to wait for that fixture, or is it a good thing to obviously get us just almost have a little bit of a reset, take the calm out of it, and go into it? So how how are we looking as we go into it? Like you said, we've outlined that we've had a good four weeks. How are we looking as we go into it? Yeah, it, we've had a couple of stops and starts, and there's there's obviously um, I say obviously for people that aren't aware. Um, there's bye weeks in this league because sadly Worcester Warriors, who were partnered with the University of Worcester, are no longer in this in this league. So occasionally there's some bye weeks, and I really do think they offer an opportunity to have a nice little mental reset, so that we almost don't get too carried away and we get overexcited. That we just refocus on the basics, refocus on our key messaging. So I actually think the pauses for us have been really helpful. Oh, brilliant, fantastic! In terms of looking ahead to that game. It's a great opportunity for really for people to get down and and and, and support the team. Because also we are starved of rugby from a men's perspective. I know we've got, funny enough, Ealing away this weekend, but 
you know, that's in the cup and that cup game, we could lose it. And that's could that's basically it now until March the 22nd, so it's, which is a long way to go. We are now starting to see the sort of tangible improvements on the field. So I think this is probably one of the, this is real an opportunity for everyone. If you've got, you know, the, the, the direct debit, you've, you've attached the women's season ticket to your season, to your own season ticket for the men's. I do think this is start an opportunity to get a lot of people down, turn to the lights, have a few beers, make a bit of occasion for it. Are we, are we comfortable of getting a decent crowd in for this, for this game? Is that sort of where the club are sort of looking towards and trying to target it? Cause obviously this is a real opportunity to get, you know, this is proper tangible proper rugby for everyone to, to get involved in because like you say from a men's perspective we don't have that at the moment yeah I think so and look I've I've made no secret of the fact that I've been um not overly pleased with the amount of crowds and the amount of numbers we've been getting at Matty Lee was Welford Road we've been getting in the sort of 400 500 mark which you know for us as a fan base I think we can probably do a bit better but I understand it's going to take people time obviously if you're an avid supporter of the men's team and you follow them home and away you're not going to be able to clone yourself or split yourself in two to go and support the women's team so opportunities like this where there is a break um and it's friday night so it doesn't clash with any six nations fixtures you can get yourself down and support the girls in what could be their first home win of the season which is massively massively important but also if you're just a fan of attacking rugby i can promise you that this Trailfinders-Tigers fixture will have it in absolute, absolute bucket loads. If we could fill out that trade view stand, which is where everybody sits to support the women's team, I would be extra, extra giddy. Without putting you on the spot in terms of, you're not obviously, well, you're not working for the Tigers ticket office, but how does how does anyone, if they've got um, either the, the season ticket attached to their, uh, to the men's season ticket and haven't used it yet, or don't have uh, the women's season ticket add-on um, attached, but would like to go to the game. How do you go about it to to get yourself in? Yeah, so f- for me, we got the season ticket add-on, so I just swipe myself in. But if you haven't got one of those, you can just go onto Leicester Tigers' website. It's scroll down. It's on our fixture list. You can click buy tickets and you can get it for, for honestly... You really do get value for money when you're watching women's rugby. I speak about this a lot. The ball in playtime, stats-wise, is highest. You actually get more bang for your buck. You get more rugby for your money. You can get an adult ticket for £12. And if you're taking somebody who's under 18, you can get that for £5. That's a lot of rugby for a small amount of money. And I know we're we're cost-of-living crisis. You know, as I say, if you're supporting the men's home team in a way that can be costly, but to go and see top level women's domestic rugby in this country and support Leicester Tigers women's team for £12, I think is ridiculously cost-effective. No, I, I agree. And if you've already got the add-on anyway, if it's just a simple case of turn up, move your season ticket, swipe yourself yeah. in. No, I think there's a, we just heard it there from Jess. It, it, it's as, as simple as that. You just turn up, swipe yourself in or £12 for a ticket. As I say, that's great. For Last two questions from, for, on this one. Amy Cocaine is obviously the, the, the signing that everyone sort of took interest in when it was announced. It was a, it was one of the, it was just the statement signing, the headline signing. And it, it almost, again, it's not just the results of the weekend, but it was a signing for everyone across the league and almost got national focus where everyone sort of turned around, Oh, hello, let's start messing around here. It's a pretty serious, pretty serious signing. Unfortunately, we've not seen Amy yet this season, which is obviously a massive disappointment. Is he in the game or, or am I just being too wishful thinking in, in, in that respect? 
you know, I think we could join each other in that kind of wishful thinking bandwagon because it would be so, so exciting. And kind of, I guess, marketers are like rubbing their hands to go, what if we could see her at home, first appearance at home, first appearance in a Leicester Tigers jersey, while there's a gap in the Gallagher men's prem on a Friday night, wouldn't it be amazing? I don't think we're going to see her. I, I think we may see her in an England Red Roses shirt for the Women's Six Nations before we see her in a Leicester Tigers shirt because I think it's going to be a long rehab journey for her. However, she has been seen at a Tigers game warming up, albeit separate. So she wasn't in a team warm-up. I think she was doing some time shuttle runs. But she did get mobbed by absolutely everybody asking, when are you going to be there? When are you, when are you back? When will we see you? When will we see you? So she's quite possibly a top fan favourite without even playing a game yet for the club, which is really, really exciting. But I I do think it's going to be a while off. But, or <sighs> my mouth waters at the prospect of seeing her at that trail finders game, but I don't, don't yet think we'll see her. For those who don't know, what injury has she got? Um, oh, you've put me on the spot. I do believe it was a knee injury that she got during the WXV. So she actually played with Meg Jones during the WXV competition, which is the first iteration we've seen. Um, but to, so she's already played with a Leicester Tigers player in Meg Jones. But um, yeah, I I really don't think we'll we'll see her for a bit. I would be surprised if we see her for Trailfinders, but I would be even more surprised if we see her for the next couple of fixtures after, which is against Saris, because I don't think we'll take a risk and put any kind of leg injury on a pitch that isn't either fully grass or hybrid. But... I'm not a physio, nor a doctor, nor an employee of Leicester Tigers to 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 qualify my my guesswork. Well, look, we, Mike and I have made our feelings very clear um, over the last couple of years, and what we think about plastic pitches and our, our attitude of playing anyone with a knee injury on them. So, I fully endorse your um, the, the viewpoint. Now, I think well, safety first. I think is the is the key one, especially coming back from a knee injury. So. Get her at home or Welford Road is probably on onto the grass at least. It's probably the uh, the better, but uh, one as I say, as a as a non medical um, professional. Last one before me, uh, and I would be remiss. I don't want to end it on a on a downer, and I apologise, Jessica. I didn't say this to to you before pressing record. I've only just written it down whilst whilst you were speaking as it came to me. So, it, but it would be remiss of me to sort of not mention obviously the, the news of last week that we've had a points deduction, and I don't want to take too much of a gloss away from yours because you will no doubt want to go into it onto your podcast in a lot more detail. So I don't, I won't expect or ask you to, t- to go into it in great detail because obviously you've got your own podcast and you need that for your focus fair. But last week's news about the points deduction, in some ways, it's from what I could sort of see the reaction from it, it's almost split in two ways going. One, almost quite critical, which I can understand, it's points deduction. And, it, and from the face of it, it doesn't look great. The second viewpoint was those of going, actually, the law is a bit of an ass anyway. And actually, Tigers have, uh, and they were okay with what Tigers had done in, in terms of actually getting a team up to speed and almost playing a bit close to the line in terms of the, of the laws was actually more acceptable in terms of getting a team competitive, getting a team up to speed and getting everyone on, onto the, onto speed up, you know, up and running pretty quickly was the risk worth taking. How do you feel about it? How did you feel about it last week? Are you annoyed with it? Comfortable with it? Where are you at? Um, I'm relatively comfortable with it, to be honest. So Sale have also got a points deduction alongside us. I think I've read both clubs' statements, and I think reading our statement, ours seems to be more of an administrative error 
um, or failing rather than something that is um, a, a deliberate way of picking a squad. It almost feels like reading the the report that we've not quite ticked the right boxes or or demonstrated the right things. And I have sympathy for anybody. Obviously, we're getting to grips with the PWR top domestic league. I'm sure there's a ton of paperwork. I have to do some RFU paperwork at times, and it's it's not easy. So I, I really do sympathise. Um, but I, I think it's a discussion worth having around the English qualified stuff. Obviously, Exeter have been really critical of it this season. Um, their head coach, Stephen Z. Appleby, said, sometimes I don't want to play players that aren't quite ready for the step up. Is it a player welfare issue? So I'm rumbling and ahhing about it. Obviously, we have in this country an amazing national women's team that we have to protect and a pathway we absolutely have to protect and make sure that that flourishes and make sure that that's the right environment. We also want to make sure or at least have an environment where international players can come here, but also they shouldn't just have to come over here and and uproot their entire lives to get top level domestic rugby. They should be able to have top level domestic rugby in their own country. But I don't think the RFU can provide all of the answers for that. So I think there's a bit of a balancing act that's happening. And I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some discussions coming out of this about a, maybe a slight relaxing of the laws or maybe if you've got a couple of players injured or there's some player welfare concerns, you might want to have a, a kind of a, a tick of the box of this is why we didn't meet at this match or this is why this has happened or we might not make the average because of player welfare and this, that and the other. And I think that might allow us, because we're a developing league, to still make sure we're preserving our player pathway for the Red Roses, whilst also making sure that no one is is played too much out of their comfort zone too soon in top-level rugby. But it, it's really, really tricky balancing act. And I think everybody, administrators, league organisers, they are still learning as we go because we are the top flight, top level, best domestic women's competition in the world. So naturally, we're still learning things as we go. And I don't, you know, I think we're having a different system or certainly a different number to the men. That's absolutely right because we don't have an established pathway academy system, development system. And it's absolutely right that that men's rugby isn't just a copy and paste of women's rugby and vice versa, that we have our own system that suits us. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a tweaking of the rules to allow a bit more flexibility around player welfare. Um, but equally, constantly reviewing and checking things is absolutely the right way to go, even if they stick with the same number. Because as I understand it, it's we've not hit the required EQP requirement that the league sets on all clubs so we didn't meet it therefore we've uh we've obviously caught a charge and off, off the back of it we've taken a points deduction as a sale so if i've understood it properly that's effectively what the issue is obviously like you've just said it's now a wider question of is the number correct is there like you said you, laws are correct because you've got and you've got to enforce the laws at the same point we are in this growth phase still. We obviously need a bit of common sense to come into this whilst there is still, like you say, a real drop-off. Not drop-off, but there is a, cha- a there's a difference in quality between the championship, like you've just said, and the top leagues. We need to make sure that all of this, that, that it's quite a hard circle to square, I guess, because obviously you've got a lot of competing things here and you obviously need to make sure that the integrity of the league is important. If the laws are there, you've got to be seen to, to enforcing them. At the same point, if you look at 
some of Leicester's players who they've played. They're actually from Leicestershire. They just happen to, to have played their rugby for, for, for a different country, which it's, it's right that we've been, if we've, found, if we've broken the rules, it's obviously right that we are charged. It's obviously right that we go through a, um, a d- d- disciplinary process. However, it still sting- it sticks in the core a little bit that we've got Leicestershire girls playing for Leicester, but they happen to be Scottish forever and they play for Scotland and it's not just out the system there. It, from, so- from someone who is sympathetic, it is a little bit unjust, even though there is justice been served. It is, yeah, and I I do feel for Belinda Moore, who's who's in charge of the PWR, and I feel for the RFU. I think there was a, a statement released when Susie Appleby um, spoke out about it. Who's the head coach at Exeter Chiefs? I think there's a you know, and we're always checking it and reviewing process, which is absolutely right because no law deserves the right to be set in stone. Absolute. Let's always review things, check things, make sure stuff is still right for the system. You know, should there be like a little, oh, you were born within a 10 mile radius of the club, you know, get out of jail free clause? I, mean, I don't know. It does, you know, there, there is a certain sense of irony that we're penalised for some players when they're, when they're born within a certain mile radius of the club. But we all did sign up to these laws at the start of the season. We were all aware of them. Um, so it's absolutely right that we're all treated exactly the same. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Before you go, where can um, people find you? Everyone, obviously, people who have been long-term listeners of this podcast will know of you. We've been on several times before and they should be well aware of your podcast. However, for those who are new or who aren't aware, where can we find you and what is the name of the podcast? So you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm never off the app at Rugby Coach Jess. You can also find the podcast, which is the LTW Fancast at LTW Fancast on Twitter. And we've also just joined Contested, which is a new sports app, um, mostly by female creators. So there's a kind of female voice behind it, Jess Hayden, who's written on the Red Roses. Um, So we just joined that as well. So you can hopefully see our Tigers predictions and see how right or wrong we are across the course of the season. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Look, Jess, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And as we've just said, if you are free on the 23rd on Friday night, get yourself down to Welford Road. You will not be disappointed. Okay, Premiership Cup semi-final. Unfortunately, uh, away from home this one, uh, due to the fact that we lost our last group game, didn't we? Sending the kids out, the first sort of criticism of McKenna that one was. But uh, a good opportunity, I think this is, to send out a team that is a real mix of senior ta- uh, senior experience and a bit of young talent in there, try and get a result, get ourselves through to a final where we can aim to try and um, get, get some silverware, which I don't think we should ever turn our nose up, no matter what we think of the Premiership Cup. Yeah, I, I think this the selection for this always comes down to what do you prioritise? Do you prioritise pure silverware? Or do you prioritise pure development or do you try and get it somewhere in the two? And I so I sit somewhere in the two in terms of, and I'd probably lean towards development more than out and out silverware. But and that's sort of gone with the team I've, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd have picked. But it is an interesting game, this, because Ealing are no mugs and they're probably as strong as, at some time, well, to be fair, how Newcastle have performed this year, they're probably as strong as Newcastle have been. So this is a, 
I'd say it's almost equivalent to a Prem game. If you look at some of the names they've got in their team, you know, they're, they're no mugs. There's, there's some plenty of recognisable names. I and mean, Goodrich Clark from Irish, Behe Allo. Billy Twelve Trees. Yeah, Tom Collins from Saints, Jonah Holmes, who we'll all remember from, from his Leicester days. There's some names there. There is some names there. Geordie Reid, obviously, was a former uh, Gloucester player. And, you know, I always quite liked Geordie Reid, even though he did get absolutely obliterated by George Martin on that carry against Gloucester last season. Always a busy physical seven. So, you know, these are these are proper players, aren't they? This isn't... This isn't and I think what we've got to be particularly wary of is that they are looking to make a point as well because obviously they've had that they're top of the championship they've played 10 only lost one uh, and I think that was a bit of a shock loss as well um was it Coldy actually I think they had a, an absolute stinker up at Coldy it was one of them where they, they lost the game they should have absolutely was a bit of a banker for them and um I think they took their eye off the ball didn't turn up classic sort of big game um big game arrogance and didn't do the didn't do the business yeah so for me this isn't a game a because it's semi-final and b because of the quality that Ealing have and the motivation they're going to have because they obviously came top last year and then there's this denial of promotion ridiculous that they don't have uh sufficient um capacity at their ground to go up despite the fact that they, their average attendances would probably match certain other premiership sides so it it's uh it's going to be a game where they really really want to try and prove a point and therefore i think it's a game where we do need to load with a decent amount of strength and the young guys that we do bring in are guys that you know are pushing for those senior spots as well i agree i think for me it's about getting that balance of 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 the two and I don't think we should go all out and just play a first team because ultimately that doesn't do anything for anyone. You know, you don't learn anything by doing so. But at the same point, you've got to, like, you, like you've just said, you've got to get the balance right to make sure it is meaningful and it's we don't get, um, you know, we don't get scalped. But it's an interesting question, you know, the, the likes of, let's say, for example, Archie van der Fleer, for example, is a young lad in the development squad. He's 21, 120 kg, so he's a big boy. And he's out on loan at Nottingham. Now, we've obviously spoken about the loose head situation. We're not sure what's going on with Van Veek or with Cronin. There's an opportunity there for, you know, do we need one loose head? Do we need two? This is an opportunity for Van der Flitt to really put a marker down. And actually, Ealing are a perfect team for him to put a marker down. I, I would say straight off on the loose head spot that I also think it's a chance for Jimmy Whitcomb as well to start maybe with uh, Van der Fleer on the bench. That's how I've got it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, let's say, if the, the other two guys are guys we may not have around next season, then for this particular game, I don't think there's much point in having them. I do think McKenna's got pretty much the whole squad open to him. Before, there was always the argument, well, hang on, the young lads have got us to this point. The senior lads, um, you know, coming in and basically just taking the glory fixtures isn't really fair. So you should stick with the younger lads. With this, we've actually used a full squad, haven't we? A senior and young to basically get us to this point. So I think he's got the whole squad to choose from. But I mean, my general principle would be if you played in the World Cup, um, you're not playing in this one. Um, and what? So effectively, um, I, I mean, particularly talking about the South African and Argentinian guys there. Well, under the laws of the competition, if you haven't played in the group stages, you can't play in the semi-final. So you can't be parachuted in. 
So that rules out. The irony is, is Pollard with his 20 minute cameo up at sale is um, legible if we so wanted. However, the likes of Visa, Montoya and Lenny aren't available. Matt Scott and JVP, um, obviously JVP was England, is with England, but we we may get asked to play him if, if Steve wants to get him some minutes and if he is fit. Those guys are available to play because they were injured in the group stages. It's only if you're injured and that's the reason why you missed out can you come back in. So there's no effectively parachuting it. So it, it means that all bar a couple, we have a full squad available to us. And it's fascinating to see how we go about it. So I've got a sort of a mix and match team just to sort of run it past you, just to sort of see how how we feel about it. So I've got Wickham, Vane's and Joe Hayes in the front row. I think Hayes will get released. Do you think he'll get released? Because it's a 36-man squad there, keeping. Yeah. It's a, it, we've always had it before on a fallow week the last couple of years where um, on the Thursday, if they want some game time for someone, when they've, they've released people back out. So on the, it's usually on Thursday we find out. So I've put Hayes in, but that could be easily changed. Um, I've got Wells and Lewis Chesham in the second row. Yeah, agree. I've got Rogerson, Ilioni, and Haverall in the back row. Yep, uh, Hanro's. Uh, I mean, I know he was injured coming back from it. Hanro could potentially play six, but maybe could be one of the guys where the, the bigger benefit is for him is to have a break. Yeah, I think obviously. I also think thinking further ahead, if there is a final, I think you would be more justified to play someone like Hanro. Maybe not go full first team, but someone like Hanroy would be more justified to come back in at that point. But let's cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I've also worked on the basis that Khan Duff isn't going to get released from England in the 20s. However, if he does, I'd be tempted to put him in at six and move Rogerson to the bench. But again, uh, let's cross that bridge if he is. Halfbacks are Whiteley and Shilcock. Uh, Centres are Joe Woodward and Guy Porter. I'd probably go with Kelly and Porter. Okay. Um, the only reason I've gone Woodward is purely because he's been on loan at um, Nottingham. He's about to turn 20. And I think his, he is a player that Tiger's been raving about for the last three years. And I think this is a possible question to be answered, just of establishing where he is and how ready he is. Just in terms of, we're talking about recruitment for next year in terms of centres. We know that we're after a 13. I think that would be a potential good opportunity to see him at 12, just see how he gets on. Um, against a good opposition and under our systems, but again, I'm not, I'm not overly attached to it. But I'd prefer again if it's a fifty-fifty call, I'd go youth. Um, so Woodward and Porter in the centres. I've got Hassel Collins and Bassett on the wings. Yeah, agree with that. Uh, poor Harry Simmons. We do have to shout out to who's suffered another bad injury. Uh, so Harry, if you are listening, which is probably unlikely. Um, get well soon. His injury, by the way, I believe is his detached retina, which was caused by a handoff by James Lowe. I've seen some fans saying, oh, you know, is this an eye, I think, an eye gouge? I don't think so. I think it's a freak incident. It's a handoff. Um, you know, it's one of the parts of the game where you can put your hand in somebody's face. It always has been. There's not been a law about it. And, you know, if you're going to do that, sometimes you're going to get freak accidents like that. So for me, nothing untoward about it. Uh, just sheer, sheer bad luck, I think. The, the, the still doesn't look pretty, let's put it that way. No. But 
we have to be careful with steals because they can show all manner of different things if you slow anything down slow enough. Uh, just to finish off the team, I've gone with Gourlay at 15. However, if you were to say to me, Mike Brown, I, would, I wouldn't cause too much of a fight on, on that one. Bench for me is Finn Theobald-Thomas, Van der Fleer, Dan Richardson. But again, if Hazy can't play, Richardson will start and Hoyt comes onto the bench. Um, Sam Carter, Joshua Manns. But again, I've already mentioned if Carnduff um, comes in. Then the backs on the bench would be Edwards, Kieran Wilkinson and Charlie Mile, who is 18, 19, but is built quite big for his age. And I'm really intrigued to see how he goes. So I think that's... And he had some promising debuts as well, um, I think, pre-season. So, yeah, I'd be um, be more than happy with, with that team. In terms of how we play, it's hard to say. I can't imagine it's going too far away from what we've done. Again, I'd like us to build on that Quinns game. Hard to do, I know, when it's sort of a bit of a mix and match team, but I'd like to see us look to, you know, basically play with pace. Just quick ball um, is is the order of the day. And then looking for the opportunities that way. We've seen what happens if you give the ball to Hassel Collins. He has a lot of fun um, and that probably needs to be our objective. So it's pressure on Shilcock, but he's done such a fantastic job for us before. Um, I think he can can do one again. Uh, Should we do a prediction? Yeah. Is it a plastic pitch down at Ealing? think so um not to my knowledge does that change anything no but it obviously in terms of how you want to play the game it, it does give um, the likes of whiteley and shilcock more of a license to um get it wide because obviously on a on a faster track i would like to have what you've just sort of mentioned there is exactly how i would like us to play build all the good stuff that we've been doing i'd like to see some patterns in attack um if we can I'd also like to see, as I mentioned, the, the young boys who we are selecting, I really want to see how they get on. I really want them to be almost, not front and centre, but I want them to be having a presence about them just so that we can see exactly where they are at in their development. And I really, we are in a situation where we haven't had a couple of guys in the first team for a while who come from, from regularly in the first team from the academy. So it'd be nice to get another crop come through who would be first team regular. So it'd be nice to see some of those young boys step up. I think this is going to be a really interesting game. I think it'd be quite tough, actually. I think I've got Leicester to win by 10 or 11, but I think it's going to be a real hard for bit of an arm wrestle, Ealing and no mugs. I think we'll just, over time, I think our experience and some of the our first teamers who are playing, the senior boys, will step up and get us over the line. But I think it's going to be a proper... Good proper game. I'm looking forward to it for that reason. Yeah, agree. I'm going to say Tigers by 10 and I think it'll be a proper game, close game. Uh, I think E-League will push us very, very hard. All right, here endeth the Rolling Mall pod. Many thanks to Tom Whiteley. He was a good guest, wasn't he? Yeah, top boy. Top lad. Top like very open. Nice to hear someone talk about like the technical side of stuff as well. And uh, you know, not that I had a clue what he was talking about being a, a nine and stuff, but uh, but it sounded great. It sounded very great. Impressive. Sounded very impressive. And before we hit record, he said that sometimes on his trips back home to London, he listens to the podcast. So I mean, the bloke must be desperate. Um, we'll give him give him his own podcast to listen to now. I mean. I feel sorry for him. He has to listen to us more on, but uh, Never poor boy. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you all have a good week and we'll catch you, catch you the other side of the evening. Dave.